This is football. Why can't C.J. Stroud win the MVP? We're going to get to that. We're going to get to Bill Belichick in Germany, Mac Jones in Germany. Do you know how bad you have to throw a pass if you're Mac Jones to throw the worst Mac Jones throw of his career? Imagine how bad that pass was. We saw it on national television. Germany saw it, international television. Um, And then there's been more fake spikes than there have been in in recent years. I feel like we've people, maybe it's TikTok or something. We're we're doing more fake spikes. Uh, Bailey Zappi ran the worst one I've ever seen. Um, So I'm going to get to all that stuff. I'm going to get to the Ravens and their flop. A um, couple other big picture items, but I want to start because these are two teams that are buzzy uh, in my world. I want to start with Texans Bengals, and I want to get to both of these teams, but I have to start with CJ Stroud because I had an adverse reaction to the Twitter thread, Twitter idea, whatever you want to call it, in the fourth quarter of Sunday's game that CJ Stroud should be an MVP candidate. I said, no way. They've lost to the Panthers quite recently. They lost to the Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Smith just a couple weeks ago. Um, those are two bad losses. And that team, this is the resume. The team resume isn't good enough for a player to be in the MVP discussion. Um, that was my just initial thought, is they're not having a special enough season for a quarterback like that to be in the conversation. And the more I looked at it, the more my initial reaction was completely wrong. Completely stupid and dismissive and wrong. Um, Let's go through it. So I got a couple questions that are linked. The first one is, do you remember, this is from Horatius, I think. Do you remember another year where the MVP race was so up for grabs like this one? Got another question. Is CJ Stroud what Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be? And I got another question. Is C.J. Stroud already the MJ to Bryce Young, Sam Bowie? Calm down. Everybody calm down. That one was from Josh. Calm down. Um, But we know C.J. Stroud is going to be really good for a long time. Um, Yards per pass attempt over eight as a rookie starting half the season. Greg Cook. You don't remember who Greg Cook was, but he got injured. And Bill Walsh said he was going to be the best quarterback ever. He goes down. Bill Walsh literally invents the West Coast offense in reaction to Greg Cook going down. So that's one guy who did it as a rookie. RG3 is rookie year, as special as anybody. Dak, Ben Roethlisberger. Now, let's just take the three modern guys. By the way, CJ Stroud, spoiler alert, is in that mix. He's above eight. Dak and and Roethlisberger both came into stacked rosters that even though Ben was a first round pick, it wasn't necessarily going to be his team right off the bat. He gets plugged in for a roster that was ready to win and they go from there. They win a ton of games. He plays a different role than he had, all that stuff. Dak, that was supposed to be Romo's team. He gets plugged in. Great offensive line, great running game, great roster everywhere. That was supposed to compete for a Super Bowl with Tony Romo. It doesn't happen. Dak competes in his place. RG3, lightning in a bottle. Just just incredible, spe- incredibly special offense. League wasn't ready for it. 
So this C.J. Stroud thing is a little bit different than all of those. Because what this is is just a quarterback just being a badass and resurrecting a franchise. Almost on his own. Now, D'Amico Ryan's a really good coach. Two things about this. Number one, the first conversation I ever had as an NFL reporter, as a national NFL reporter, so I went to Philadelphia in rookie minicamp and met Howie Roseman, and he had just completed the D'Amico Ryan's trade. And we had a long conversation about how oftentimes you have to look at why a guy was discarded by his old team or why he became expendable. And that um, it was pretty interesting because we talked a little bit about like how sometimes when a guy doesn't fit in a scheme anymore, um, it opens things up. So this is 2012. Um, that if a guy doesn't fit in a scheme anymore, you should always scout those guys because they can still play. They just got, they got made redundant by scheme. So that was that. So that was my first interview with Howie Roseman ever. So I feel old. Howie probably feels old too. Okay. Second thing about Tamika Ryans is that the Bengals coaches told me that teams changed their identity to play Joe Burrow. And they could not believe two years ago when they played the 49ers, the 49ers came out and played a Tampa 2, a type of Tampa 2 they had never seen on tape from that team. Not ever. They completely learned a new defense for Joe Burrow. They were so impressed. Burrow eventually figured it out, and they were able to grind out a win. But the D.C. was D'Amico Ryans. So D'Amico's got tricks for Joe Burrow, and he's just a generally good coach. So let's set the scene there that D'Amico Ryans is – but it was only 13 months ago that Jack Easterby was in this, this organization. They still have the same owner from that. They still cycled through some of the worst coaching hires I've ever seen. They still gave Bill O'Brien a limited power three years ago. Three years ago? He got fired in 2020. So that's, that's the franchise C.J. Stroud is saving. And when I look at the way he's playing, not just Sunday, because on Sunday he was creating – his own space. He was throwing the ball down the field. His intent, his uh, air yards per completion was above 11, which in the early games was two yards more than any starter in the NFL. And that includes, by the way, the Germany game and includes Thursday night. Two yards more in the air. He is throwing the ball down the field. We don't do that with rookies anymore. We don't do that with mid-career guys. Mac Jones was like throwing it two yards in the air today, literally two yards in the air today. We don't, we, we baby these guys. We don't say, let's just throw the, push the ball down the field. He is pushing the ball down the field and he is not making that many mistakes. Last week, PFF had him as they were going and doing analytic breakdowns and giving superlatives. They had him as the most efficient passer in the NFL in week nine, 71% of his Passes were completed, 11.2 yards per pass attempt. Okay, just a completion percentage of 90% and obviously highest pass rating. Only four of the Texans' drives ended scoreless. This is last, last week, okay? He was also the most explosive passer. Those two things are not supposed to intersect in modern football. You're supposed to either be like Mr. Dink and Dunk, Mr. Oh, they put a too high shell, so we're just going to throw it and check it down to the tight end. That's the whole thing with modern football. That's why yards per completion is lower than it's ever been. You are not supposed to be efficient and explosive. Last week, 14 of 21, 
deep passes down the field for more than 10 yards were completed, 327 yards on those throws. We went through that all last week. But I'm looking now, and I'm seeing a guy who is there. Like, he's, he's, he's there. He has 2,626 passing yards this season, third most through rookies, nine starts in history. Justin Herbert was higher. Andrew Luck was higher. However, if you throw in his touchdown numbers and his lack of interceptions under five, uh, he's the best rookie ever. Um, Cam Newton had a bunch of yardage marks, and especially the back-to-back games thing. Cam Newton did it in week one and week two of his rookie year. So that's a little bit different. I don't know how you view that. But there's a couple things I want to say about this. Number one is a guy who can push the ball down the field like this really early in his career. And by by the way, uh, when I was doing the eight yards thing, another guy who had a lot of success uh, throwing the ball down the field his rookie year was Deshaun Watson, um, but he only played six games his rookie year. So Stroud has exceeded that. Um, but when I think about a young guy who can push the ball down the field, I think of Patrick Mahomes and the great sort of, uh, evaluation <laughs> tragedy here is that Mahomes didn't play his rookie year until it didn't matter until he was, I mean, he, he practiced so much. He had his own personal office coordinator, basically in, in my Kafka and he was off to the side and every, everybody in Kansas city was like, he's the best practice player of all time. But we have no idea what that would have looked like. I've talked to people there. I went there in December of his second year and I talked to coaches about what it was like in practice. And I said, what would have happened if he played his rookie year? And they'd be like, it would have been an exaggerated version of his second year. He just would have made more dumb mistakes. And so I guess my question is like, why can't we say if this guy's pushing the ball down the field like this, this early in his career, when we've seen everybody, Burrow was not, did not look like this halfway through his first year. I mean, Zach Wilson, Chris Collins were saying, please, you're too young to read the whole field. The hell is anybody talking about? Like, we treat young quarterbacks differently. CJ Stroud is breaking down the walls of what we think about a young quarterback. I love that question. Are we, are we, is he what Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be? Yes, because he, he, completely change an offense around. And is this going to last? He's not, he's not probably not going to set records over every two week span he plays, but he's really good. You don't throw the ball that well down the field this early in your career, unless you can do a lot of things right. He uses the middle of the field really freaking well. And it's not like, again, this is a young roster. He doesn't have a number one wide receiver. And everybody, and this, you know what this shows you? This just shows you how much cope there is in football. And what I mean by that is like, everybody's like, oh, well, wait till he gets this. Wait till he gets this number one receiver. Wait till Justin Fields gets DJ Moore. Wait till that happens. It's really going to unlock people. Um, you hear this over and over again. Well, wait till this happens. The only thing I will say is that Obviously, offensive lines are a huge part of it because you just end up like, I'm no huge Daniel Jones fan, but like Daniel Jones had half a second to throw. There's my next gen stats. Daniel Jones had half a second to throw for the entire season and then he got hurt. Like, where was that going to go? Of course. 
But I think in most infrastructures, a good quarterback reveals themselves. And that's what we're seeing here. Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator, is doing an awesome job because, again, he is treating him like a veteran. That's why he's treating him like a quarterback who can read the field and make plays, which, by the way, that's what he is. So you don't have to you can skip some steps. He's he's he didn't need algebra one. He can just go to whatever. I was really bad in high school, so I have no idea what's after algebra two, but calculus, maybe whatever he can do. He's in calculus. OK, that's where he is. He's got he's got an A in calculus. So. The reason I want to bring the MVP thing up is if not, if you don't want to put him in the discussion, who is in the discussion? Because you're seeing these quotes and his legends are only going to grow. Like D'Amico Ryan said that after Stroud threw an interception, he said to, D- to D'Amico, I got you. I'm going to have the, I'm going to have the game winning drive. Obviously that's what he did over a really good Bengals team. that looked like it was rounding into being a Super Bowl contender again. Um, so if you look at the MVP odds, I'm having a tough time finding a robust discussion. That's, that's my problem As I'm not saying that he should be the MVP. I'm not saying anything other than he needs to be in the conversation. And if you, I think you're being incredibly, I don't know, I know you would call it incurious, dismissive, if you say he shouldn't be. So if we want to go through it here, um, looking at something updated five days ago, um, Mahomes, Caesar Sportsbook, plus 260. I saw a stat the other day from Shil Capadio, old colleague, said that none of Mahomes' top 50 starts by success rate or EPA have come this year. That's and I think Mahomes should probably you can probably make the case he's the MVP every single year. I'm just saying, relative to what he normally is, do you really think he's an MVP favorite? Really? Or is this is this a bet on the fact that he'll turn it around? Is this the bet on his wide receivers getting better, whatever it is? Like, I think he's the best player in football, but I'm having a tough time saying, okay. He's he's he should be the the odds on favorite by a significant degree. I I don't I don't see that relative to what we know about Patrick Mahomes. Lamar and Hurts right behind Mahomes, plus four hundred. Then Tua Burrow. Don't think Burrow's going to get it. And then a huge gap to McCaffrey, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, Brock Purdy, Jared Goff. So maybe you want to open it up. Maybe if the Browns make the playoffs. Maybe you want to open up to somebody like Miles Garrett. I'm only, maybe listen, maybe Hurts turns it on and it's great. Lamar lost today and he threw a backbreaking pick six. So I'm, I'm putting him in timeout right now, but I, I did a thing, I think week two, week three, where I said he's an MVP candidate and they win the Super Bowl. So I'm not being dismissive of that. I'm just saying, I just read you the entire MVP picture. Where where are you removing C.J. Stroud? Why are you removing C.J. Stroud from what I just ran down? Like, what is your argument that C.J. Stroud is not in this, taking a franchise that was picking second last year and that seemed to have no hope and everybody was saying they were going to fire their GM 
They had Lovey Smith last year. Everybody, you know what everybody else was saying? Oh man, they shouldn't have won that game at the end of the season, or else they could have gotten Bryce Young. And then, well, well, you you know, you got C.J. Stroud, even though he didn't want to take the S two test, the BuzzFeed quiz that he failed, and that there was a, a news cycle on. Um, I just, I don't know how you have the MVP discussion without C.J. Stroud, right now. It's halfway through the season. But like that's what we all do. We all do a little halfway season things. I'm not going to do it, but I'm just letting you know. If you have the MVP discussion without C.J. Stroud right now, given the stats he's putting up, and this maybe this says more about the league this year than it does what's going on in Houston. But this Houston team's only going to get better, and this is this is how you have the MVP discussion. Um, it shows you how quickly a franchise can change. It shows you sometimes when we're giving patience, it's for the sake of giving patience. We're not seeing actual progress. I've always felt that NFL team should show a proof of concept, proof of life, whatever you want to call it by the end of year two, when you're on a certain trajectory, I have, I've seen players turn it on in year three or year four. I have not necessarily seen teams do it. Um, you just have to be able to see something. And this to me is, is proof positive that this is going to work in, t- in Houston. Again, may not, they may not win 12 games this year, but if, if you can do this, if you can play this well and beat these teams that they've beaten so far, you belong in rarefied air in the NFL this early in your tenure. So um, Houston fans deserve this. They had one of the most hopeless situations just three years ago. Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby, team chaplain, filling a power vacuum, losing a bunch of games, hiring David Culley, hiring Lovey Smith. Unicorns change lives. And C.J. Stroud, it looks like, is a unicorn. Um, and it's up to Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryan sort of give him a runway. Will Anderson on the defensive side of the ball is as, as big a story. Um, he's just not a quarterback, so we're not going to lead with him. We're not going to put the MVP discussion. But this is going to work. They'll get, By the grace of God, they'll get a number one receiver. They'll get some targets next year. But he seems to be fine without it. And that's the biggest thing. No, no excuses for young quarterbacks. We may we have decided to make too many excuses for young quarterbacks. And CJ Stroud said, you know what? I'm good. I'm just gonna be awesome anyway. So there we go. Um man, I took a long time on CJ Stroud. You like it. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesar Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code BET 
amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. I want to get to Bill Belichick. Breer had this note. Patriots are two and eight. He didn't. That, that's just a fact. He didn't have that note. Um, it's the first time a Belichick team has been six games under five hundred since two thousand, and he's never been seven games under five hundred. Not even in Cleveland. Last time he was seven games under five hundred was with the eighty-three New York Giants when he was an assistant. And now the Patriots are. Picking fourth in the draft. The Cardinals won, but the NFL says they're still picking second. I believe that there's a problem here. I don't want to do draft stuff again. But I believe there's a problem in that the Patriots will win more games because Bill Belichick is their coach. The Cardinals will win more games because Kyler Murray is their quarterback. And the Giants will win more games because Brian Dable needs to save his job. So I actually don't think any of those three are going to be the second pick. I do believe that Carolina is completely inept and will be picking first overall, which means the Chicago Bears will be picking first overall. I do believe that. So let's remove ourselves from the idea. Just quick, just maybe I'm wrong, but let's just assume they're picking like sixth in New England. I think that New England has totally changed the context. Of, I mean, by the way, speaking of 2012, the first little loop I did when I was a national NFL reporter, still covering the NBA that season. So it wasn't until the next season that I was fully on the beat. Um, but I met with, I, I quoted them in this, in the first piece I wrote, I met with the uh, like ownership there in New England. And it was just like, it was just so different than any other place. And I, I've, I've told the story before, but um, I was there and, and some folks from ownership and some of the front office people were telling me that kind of how they did just basic stuff, stuff that's been in, in a, you know, either the Michael Holly books or the Seth Rickersham books, just like how they run, manage the salary cap and how they make player decisions. But it just seemed so efficient and amazing and like the way that they would they would kind of rob peter to pay paul on the roster and just say like hey we're gonna do this instead of this or the way they said okay hey bill parcells 
want to do this with this position. Oh, you got to overpay a left tackle. And it's like, well, what if we did this? That, that kind of stuff, right? And then, so I'm thinking, I'm like, man, this is, this is some efficient stuff. And then I go to Buffalo the next day. And Buddy Nix is the GM. And I ask him all of these roster questions. And he's just got nothing for me. I, he's a great guy. But like you could tell the one team was thinking about the roster in the year 3000 and one of them wasn't. And guess which team won a few Super Bowls after that and guess guess who was on their way to getting fired. And that was always the Patriots to me. And I always thought that the person after Belichick, who I assumed was always going to be Belichick assistant, would be in a good position because there's an infrastructure there that will at least raise the floor. And they, and they understand, everybody who works there kind of understands what they're trying to do. And everybody keeps saying it was Tom Brady. Yeah, it was a huge part of it was Tom Brady, but it wasn't all Tom Brady. The way they built those defenses, the way they built those lines, the way they went out and got skill guys, the way they, they morphed the skill guys depending on their era and what kind of guys they needed, it was not all Tom Brady. So... I thought that there'd be some sort of organizational um, benefits and that whoever was next would really, really have a, a good runway. And I don't, I think two things have happened that have, I never thought would happen. The first one is that New England is going to be a legitimately bad job. There's no talent there. So you're not only are you the guy who follows Bill Belichick, which nobody wants to be, college or pro, you do not want to be the guy who follows the guy. But I thought that'd be offset by the infrastructure you'd have. But you don't have that anymore. The roster's gone. I don't know what the building blocks are exactly. Most of the front office guys who Belichick leaned on are gone. The coaching staff is not what it once was. I think Gerard Mayo, knowing what I know a little bit, we had, I had him on my show a couple of years ago. I think he's awesome. And I think he's probably the home run hire if you're if you're going from within. Um, that'd be my pick, but these guys know him better. But but Mayo Mayo is, is gonna be has been bandied about quite a bit as a as a head coaching candidate. And I think that it makes a lot of sense for New England. So not only do I think it's a bad job, I think now Bill Belichick's made himself a bad candidate. So the two things I thought at the beginning of the season were New England, good job, Bill Belichick, good candidate for somebody else, a Washington. Like how many teams, like I, I think we threw this out there a couple weeks ago with six, six owners call Belichick if he became available. I think the answer is closer to like two. And the idea that Washington, Josh Harris's first move is going to be the, uh, as the commander's owner is going to be to, to get Belichick. Well, wait a second. He just lost to Ron Rivera and he's going to ask for total control. The only thing I would hire him as is a consultant right now. He's old second oldest coach in football. So it's a bad job and he's a bad candidate. And I have no, I cannot believe how quickly it moved in that direction. And Mac Jones, he couldn't throw in rhythm to the open guy. 
He couldn't drive the ball down the field. I just, no. No. Not, 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 I, Bailey Zappi was somehow worse, but my goodness, the fact that it got so bad with Mac Jones, just, just there's some, some signs of institutional failure there. Um, all right, quickly on the Ravens. I, I, Brian Burke put this number up from ESPN stats and info, ESPN analytics, excuse me, that in their three losses, first of all, they keep beating themselves. They just, every couple of weeks come out with a sloppy game. But he put out the the win probability chart, and they should win most of the games they've lost. Like they were in control, or at least close to being in control of all of their wins. Or it was just like, you know the Colts game; they just kind of played like idiots. One through forty six active players, um, and it becomes worrying. The Browns played really, really badly for long stretches. Watson had. One of his nine passes was complete in the first quarter. Obviously the worst quarter of his career. The Browns trailed, this is via ESPN Stats Info. The Browns trailed for 59 minutes and 20 seconds because Watson on the first drive of the game threw a Kyle Hamilton pick six. And then I got to tell you, Watson's effort on the tackle, not exactly going on the teach tape this week. High schoolers are probably not going to watch that to see effort and and how to tackle, um, but it goes to it goes out saying that no no team this millennium, according to Jake Trotter, has won when trailing for that long in a game. It'd be really hard. You have to either do what they did, or they would have you'd have to go touch on the first play of the game on offense or a kick, and then you'd still have to win the game. Not a lot of teams would do that. So, what's the problem? Well, Lamar Jackson's deep throws are not good. 3 of 13 for 89 yards since week six. The, the pick six to Greg Newsome, the fourth quarter turnovers, um, it's just sloppy play. And I don't know how you fix that because um, I don't think it's a scheme thing. Are they trying to do too much in the fourth quarter? Are they trying to force the ball? To guys, are they trying to do something? Are they trying to change the way that they play in the fourth quarter? That's, 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 they need to self-scout severely. Um, the defense let them down. And we keep doing this every single week. Every single week, we keep crowning a team and then they lose that Sunday. They do not wait. They lose that Sunday. And... I think you can probably so first of all, it's like it's like the Sports Illustrated curse where everybody's like, oh, the curse was like, no, no, no. It's that Sports Illustrated is waiting for somebody to be at their peak and then teams just regress from there. So it's not a surprise in some ways that that, that would happen. But I also think that it shows you if teams can't keep up the momentum, it shows you that there's just no great teams this year. No complete teams this year. And that is usually the case. It's usually the case in the NFL. Um, but it certainly is this year. So that's um, – they got to stop that. The Browns, even though they've kind of moved past the historic numbers they had at the beginning of the season, they are still a good enough defense to wreck a game. Um, and – 
the AFC North is going to be chaos. I still think the Bengals find a way, unless Trey Hendrickson is really hurt. And that was a disaster at the end of the game. Um, I still think they find a way to become the best team in that division, even if they don't win it. I think they're going to be the hottest team in, in that division in January and possibly even into February. But, man, it's going to be absolute carnage the next couple of weeks. And the Ravens, the Ravens have to find a way to close, not just in games, but in, in the division, because this is not, this is not the type of division where you can, you can mess around. All right, fun. We got some questions. We do. We're going to start with Tommy. The free, the pre-fired head coaches list keeps growing. How close do you think we get to the record, which is 10 for new coaches on the sidelines in 2024? Great question from Tommy. Uh, obviously, he's referring to my pre-fired rubric, um, which is just people who just seem seem like they're about to be unemployed at all times. Um, there's a lot of guys who are going to be fired who are not pre-fired, like Josh McDaniels, the Patriots saying of being pre-fired, obviously. Um, I mean, Brandon Staley going into this year, unbelievably pre-fired. So let's go through it, okay? I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to add up the definitely fired and the leaning fired. And then we're going to get to a, it's like a political poll and then we'll get to the number. Okay. Dolphins, obviously safe bills. I got to say I'm leaning, not fired, but it's close. If they were four and five, I'd have a different viewpoint on it. Obviously if they don't like the playoffs, I would, I would have a different viewpoint on it. But right now I'm not putting Sean McDermott in the fire, fire pile tally. Uh, Jets safe, Patriots leaning fired. So that's one. Chiefs, obviously all good there. Chargers, I'm leaning fired. That's two. Raiders already fired. That's three. AFC North, everybody's safe. Uh, Stefanski being the closest, but they're going to make the playoffs or at least, I mean, when you consider how bad the quarterback has been, that's, it's fine. Um, they're going to be fine there. Um, Texans, nope. Colts safe, Jaguars safe, Titans. So this isn't a firing, but the only scenario here is that, and there's been rumblings about that, that Robert Kraft, maybe Vrabel is his white whale and he would trade for him. I don't think that's going to happen until I see more reporting, but that would be the only way there's a coaching change in the AFC South. Uh, NFC North, Commanders, absolutely. Giants, I'm leaning, not fired. But who knows? And with the Giants franchise, uh, I don't think I think Pete still got a couple more years in him. McVeigh, see why would he have come back anyway? Um, Bears, yes, definitely. Panthers, I'm going to go yes, definitely. That's six. Bucks. And um, by the way, when I say yes, definitely, I just mean just because the owner seems to have no patience for anything. Um, and Evero's on staff, you can just promote him. And then Bucks, I'm gonna go fired too. I'm gonna I so the Saints are gonna win the division, it looks like. So I'm not gonna do them. I also wouldn't rule out the Falcons. Remember, Arthur Blank has fired people before, like in even when they they're 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 doing okay. So I gotta be honest with you, I could see I don't think Arthur Smith's gonna lose his job. But no one is, let's put it this way. I went through and did a bunch of safes 
And no one in the NFC South is definitely fully safe. So I'm going to go with seven coaching changes. My guess is one of these teams goes south. So I'm going to go eight. Eight total. One of the teams in the safe goes has a completely disastrous ending. And I we, we finish off with eight, eight firings. What do we got, Flynn? Next up is Gunner. Why is it that the early window on red zone is consistently the most exciting football all week? The primetime games this season seem terrible. How often can you see the Jets lose? Wasn't flexing supposed to fix this? So one thing people misunderstand about flexing is that you can't just take any game and put it on Sunday night. So because the networks protect certain games. So when you're, when you're, reprogramming Sunday night. It's not like you're going to be picking from, from Ravens Browns, for instance. Right. Um, And so it's kind of a, be careful what you wish for type of deal. And there are rules about how much a team can be on primetime, all that stuff. And there's stuff with the league, like, like owners want certain things and there's lobbying behind the scenes. I I don't know too much about it. Right. But I'm sorry, I don't know the behind-the-scenes stuff. I do know the, the, the general rules. Um, they've liberalized those a lot, including the rule that used to be the absolute thorn on everybody's side, which was that every team had to appear on primetime, which has been by the mercifully no longer on the books. But the reason that the 1 p.m. – so there's some bad luck with some of these teams, like Aaron Rodgers getting hurt, Completely. I mean, like, think about if Aaron Rodgers was still there, how big the Chiefs Jets game would have been a couple of weeks ago, the Taylor Swift game. It would have been like game of the century hype type of stuff. The Dolphins are really good, and the networks didn't see it. The NFL didn't see it coming, right? The Bills are just okay. The Jets are playing too many primetime games because they're supposed to be a marquee event. Um, I think a lot of teams, it's tough to bet on a team, right? And the Eagles, even though they do everything well, seem a little unspectacular when you watch them in primetime, right? So it's really like they were the network, even though the Lions played week one, like should the networks have bet big on the Lions, should they have bet big on the the Vikings, Jordan Love? Like I, I it was it's a really hard year to peg because of the way the, the quarterbacks kind of break down. But the reason the 1 p.m. games are more exciting because there are more of them, and the NFL is designed for close games. And so I remember talking to some of their league ops people a couple of years ago, and they said the the recipe for high ratings is literally they know what it is: high scoring and within one possession. That's it. We will watch any game in which that occurs. I will watch any game. And so will you. You're listening to this podcast in minute 37. But that's – it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. We'll we'll watch Aiden O'Connell if it's it's within one one score and it's, you know, 34-27. Now, the Shets game's not going to get there, but that's that's what they're they're going for. And so – I think there was a record number of game-winning field goals in the last second today. Like that just happens because there's chaos in the 1 p.m. window. Teams are more evenly matched. Um, it's and and also especially with red zone, 
We had Scott Hanson on a couple weeks ago. You can just ignore games. That Bears-Panthers game would have been roundly ignored by Scott Hansen if it was on at 1 p.m. on a Sunday. That's the beauty of it. The 4 p.m. game, especially with these Germany games, those that window's tough because you really only have three games. You got it. One of them really has to pop. Thankfully, the Lions and the, and the Chargers did. Do we have a question about that, Flynn? Yes, we do. Oh, good. I, for, I literally forgot the questions because I've been well, we, rolling we, so we have, long on Stroud. We have a question about the Chargers. It is, from, it is from Pablo, who wants to know, what are your next steps if you're the Chargers? Obviously, the head coach is a dead man walking, but I'm talking about the structure of this team. The yeah. defense has so much invested in it that a Ben Johnson, ergo an offensive-minded head coach, doesn't fix the issues this team has. The defense is a tire fire, and they already have so much financially invested in it as it is. Given that they're not even close to competing against the AFC's top tier, and now clearly the NFC's, you almost have to rebuild, right? Everybody not named Justin Herbert and Rashawn Slater needs to be shipped off for parts. Yes. So this is tough. Brad Spielberger was on this show a couple weeks ago and said that the Chargers had one of the worst contract situations in football. Justin Herbert's not getting less expensive and he's worth it, by the way. So they're in a rough spot. The only, first of all, the Spanish family is not going to spend a lot on coaches. The only way they're going to get like a Ben Johnson type is if someone like Ben Johnson is like, I have to have a good quarterback. I'd rather do this than go to Washington and salvage that operation. I think Mike McDonald is probably a really good fit in Washington. Uh, the, the DC of the Ravens. I think that'd be good from a, program builder perspective they can figure out the quarterback situation later the chargers are in a really tricky spot because the window is as long as herbert is there but they're going to have to take a lot of hits cap wise in order to clean out that roster and my advice to them is to just not have brandon staley as their coach but they currently have brandon staley the defense is soft the defense is giving up explosives when that's supposed to be brandon staley's whole thing what is it, Brandon Staley, you'd say you do here? Because I've seen no noticeable improvement. I saw three years ago a couple of good press conference clips. What is the best football argument you've ever made that didn't involve Aaron Donald stopping the run without giving additional people to that cause on defense? And then, by the way, having Jalen Ramsey on the back end. It's the best football thing you've ever done. Tough to make a case as far as that goes. Um, so that um, that game today, it's funny because it, 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 they're still in the hunt, I guess, but it should feel like the end of an era. I don't. The problem with 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 the, their schedule is that, and I've made this point before, it's a pretty soft schedule. But he's a bad coach, so they'll lose a couple of them. So they have Chargers, Ravens, excuse me, Chargers, Packers, Chargers, Ravens, Chargers, Patriots, Chargers, Broncos, then Raiders, Bills, a couple other teams, and and with the Chiefs. So unless they like. I mean, maybe they can lose to the Packers. The Packers are, are okay. They're better. They they they're better than some of the teams that have given the Chargers real problems. 
Um, maybe it's unrealistic. I don't know. But they're definitely going to lose to the Ravens. And then Belichick and Staley can have a fired off on December 3rd, lose leaves town. So I don't know what you do, man, because the Spanos family may not devote the resources. Does the Spanos family want a bunch of dead money? Are they going to go out and like cash spending for owners is a huge, huge, huge competitive advantage. I know we all laugh at what the Saints do, but like that's why they were able to get so many good players in the Drew Brees, Sean Payton era. We had that with Dimitrov a couple weeks ago. We talked about that. So, not to quote The Simpsons, is a great, great Simpsons episode where Homer runs for trash commissioner. He uh, wins, gives them all sorts of crazy perks in Springfield. The old trash commissioner gets reelected after Homer. I believe gets fired in uh, disgrace and new old trash commissioner comes back and says, uh, thank you so much. You're all screwed. I can't help you. And Justin Herbert's the only thing keeping that roster from over the next three years getting really ugly. When you just look at the age of it, the contract of it, whatever, and maybe Justin Herbert's enough, but unfortunately, even though I adore Justin Herbert, he has never had a season where he has overcome everything and said, all right, here we go. I'm going to win the MVP. Or here we go. We're just accidentally going to win a boatload of games because I'm the man. Um, and maybe that's just regressive, stupid kind of talk radio takes. But I just haven't seen – I don't know. I just I, – I, I, I've seen – quarterbacks as good as Herbert do that sort of stuff and overcome that sort of stuff. So we'll see. I did. I expect Justin Herbert as he started his second contract to be compared to the trash episode of the Simpsons. I did not. He's not trash in particular, but maybe that franchise is gearing towards that. Um, he is very good. He's one of the best young quarterbacks in football and one of the best quarterbacks in football. He throws one of the best balls I've, I've seen even today, the creativity, he was on the move. I love Justin Herbert. I just don't love what's going to happen to his career over the next couple of years if this doesn't rebound. Um, all right, Flynn, are we done? We are done with questions, yes. Awesome. All right. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday with Mr. Dan Orlovsky. Um, do a little quarterback talk, probably a little C.J. Stroud talk. See you then. Thank you to Miles and Flynn. We'll see you on Wednesday on This Is Football. <laughs>